I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. I'm not finished yet. It took me a long time to get here. Both players have, have spoken with each other and, uh, and they regret what happened. They've had a frank discussion with each other and they're, they're both of them are keen to, to now focus on getting back to their county jerseys. That these fellas get such a f***ing shell shock next Saturday evening that we'll put them back in their f***ing houses for f***ing years. You'd have to say an absolutely fantastic game in Ballybuffet yesterday, lads. There's no doubt about that. Considering the conditions, my God, I was looking at that going, how are these lads out on a field um, even attempting to play in these conditions? And it has to be said, the conditions weren't ideal from the people sitting in their nice, cosy couches, in their nice, cosy houses either, because there was a lot of the game, uh, Keen, that we could, we were kind of struggling even to see what the hell was going on. Yeah, particularly early on, uh, it was uh, it was like trying to watch the game through a fog. Um, but uh, look, a huge credit to the players. I mean, in what was a horrendously difficult day for football, and particularly the pitch in Bally Buffet was was very very soft. Um, we were glad to be on the comfort of our couch. I'd say, even if we were looking through a little bit of mist on the camera lens. Yeah, because like I mean, I don't know whether to criticise RT for this or not, Colin. But I presume like the way the wind, the way they were set up on that side of the field, the wind was blowing into the camera. I presume they had all those shields on it. We've seen horrible league games on air sport, and a similar issue um, happens. I suppose it's just bad luck for everybody. The direction the wind is blowing. It is, and I saw a lot of people asking them to wipe the camera lens. You know, which obviously made a lot of sense. But I remember watching a Republic of Ireland match before. And like there was the same sort of scenario where the, the rain was covering the lens, and then you just saw this hand coming in on top of the lens. It felt like it was coming towards your face, and they just started wiping it. And I just should have caught away as they were doing that, but it didn't yeah. do much. It just sort of blurred it even more. Well, I reckon that's what they were doing the whole time. Maybe what would have blurred it, but like when the director switches to another camera angle, I presume that that other cameraman is frantically cleaning his little little window before he before they come back to him in the show. Another one before we get into this is Marty kept congratulating the grounds people for the game going ahead. Now, can you could explain to me what a grounds person does? So it was unplayable on Thursday. So what were they doing in the meantime? Digging little trenches to for the water to kind of. Uh, 
flew off the the pitch, or how was how did the groundsman deserve so much credit for the game going ahead? I think they probably just said a few decades of the rosary, and that was probably uh, <laughs> enough of that. Decade was. <laughs> no, I just, maybe I it, maybe, it, maybe it just stopped raining. Yeah, well, they probably yeah exactly. I'd say they prayed to God and He stopped the rain for a few days and allowed it to go ahead. <laughs> um, oh, look, and I think in fairness, uh, we're messing here, but I'm sure they, I'm sure there's things they could have done, maybe staking the pitch or different things like that to try and get some of the excess water off it. But I mean, look, you could see how badly the pitch cut up. Um, I don't think there's really a huge amount people can do. A lot of these things are, you know, broadly down to the, down to the weather elements and while the ground staff could do as best they can. Um, there's probably very, very minimal impact that they can make in the overall scheme of things. Yeah, that's a tough uh, grounds person bit of analysis that I'm after showing at you there, Keen. but you're after handling it uh, fairly well. Come here, we have to start with the, the Michael McKernan dive. Um, I don't know, Conan. Like, I mean, this the whole... The, the fact that there's a debate around this is slightly... Um, depressing as far as I'm concerned because it's soccer analysis this is not a red card Owen Mulligan said tweeted a cop out by McQuillan he's got the big call wrong strike punch or slap was told by the linesman and still didn't give it you can't lift your hand now Brennan it was I wouldn't even call it a slap it was almost like a kind of a push in the back of the head go on you I would almost suggest it was in a playful manner he went down like you've been absolutely poleaxed and stayed down now I think the reason he stayed down there was an element of the gale force wind here and McKernan goes uh, my his motivation to get him sent off or to waste time I'm 50-50 on that I I I think it's, it's to get him sent off I just think there's a lot of that going on in the game at the minute just where not just people diving but like you can see even in the dairy game now in fairness Jamie Clark committed a black card offence but everyone's around at the referee you know screaming at him and people are coming over to the referee a lot more they're, they're riding him a bit more and and they're looking for a few favours done like you know they're, they're looking for something a bit easier which is a bit depressing to be honest and you call it soccer analysis I think it's like it's Twitter analysis where everybody just feels like they need to take a side and if you're from Tyrone you now must defend this indefensible act like you know yeah he obviously went down easy it wasn't a strike just tell him to get up and get on with the match like we don't need to talk about this anymore like it's 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 grim when people are trying to sort of find a, a loophole to defend them yeah i think that's the right bit of analysis on that key and like i mean christ almighty Owen mulligan should think about the game of gaelic football over his own player in tyrone and think if this is what we're going to be you know stuck watching what are we going to have yeah, well, look at I mean, let's let's call a spade a spade. It was fucking poor, poor on both players' behalf. Brennan doesn't need to get involved with him. McKernan certainly doesn't need to go down in the manner that he did. I mean, look, we're looking at a very a slow mo replay of an incident, which always makes things, you know, makes a contact look um, more than what it is. If you look at the very end of the game, uh, McKernan gave Michael Murphy a little slap into the face. Uh, broadly similar, probably, although you're seeing it in real time. Murphy didn't roll around on the ground, and the two boys shook hands at the final whistle and moved on with things. Look, McKernan would be the type of player he'd be. He's kind of in lads' face is when decisions go against him you know if a lad gets caught for overcarrying or if he gets a turnover he's kind of you always see him he always has a, a bit of a smile on his face as if he's trying to wind up the opposition and I have no doubt that he had a few words to to Brennan and Brennan just gave him a, a little clip as he was walking by yeah. the extent of it difficult to go what I would say is I, I'd be fairly consistent on this and that Brennan 
probably was sailing close to the wind by doing it because you're given you're given the official a decision to make. And I would always say if I was involved with a team and I'd be frustrated with my teammates, if you do something that puts you in the referee's crosshairs, well, you actually don't know what the decision is going to be from there because it's very open to interpretation. And the fact that McKernan goes down you know, it probably puts more pressure on the referee. And I think that's what, what we're kind of, what you boys are kind of saying is that you don't want to see that. I mean, it's not, it's not necessarily what the ethos of the game has ever been in that it's a physical game. You expect to dish out a bit of physicality and take a bit of physicality and just get on with it within the rules of the game. But if you're going around slapping lads around the head and mouthing at people, it's just unnecessary on everybody's behalf. And to be honest, which I'd prefer if we didn't see any of it, the slap, I'd prefer not to see the slap and I'd prefer not to see the accentuation of the contact. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Like, I mean, if 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 McCarran just keeps running there, I, I understand the criticism of Brennan for being stupid, but that's only because there was such a big deal made of it, and McCarran went down. If McCarran just jogs on, nobody even notices. Like, it's like go on, you pup, you or whatever, and that would be it. Has to be said, Ushin Gallon dived in the second half. Funnily enough, under a challenge from Michael McCarran, who were he he kicked, he went to kick it, and he just completely made a meal out of it. And look, we see a lot of that going on. Like all the time, if players kick a ball and they're all slightly off balance, they'll make the most of it to get the free. But McKernan's probably was on a different uh, a different level. One other thing about this, Les, because we'll analyse this in part two, was like, I mean, Oban Gallagher get the blame for the goal. It was Derek Hanavan's goal and it was gifted to him. And like, I mean, Jesus Patton really put him in the shit, didn't he? Like, I don't know, Conan, if you can't pass a ball under those conditions to a lad's chest from two or three metres away... What are you doing? Because the ball actually, funnily enough, bounced on the white line and didn't come up the way Bob Gallagher thought it would. Now Bob Gallagher's taken his eye off the ball to see where Derek Hanavan is. And that end of story, ball's in the back of the net. I'm really glad you said it because I thought it and I was wondering, am I being a bit harsh? Like, you know, surely you could still catch it. But the way it skids off the surface, it was it was dodgy doing it. And look, even, even if he had completed that pass anyway... Patton was the free man. You know, Derek Hanathan was on Oban Gallagher, and we know he's a whippet. He can come in on him sharp. So it seemed like Patton yeah. playing it to him was a bit strange anyway. I think he needs to take a bit more responsibility coming out with the ball and drawing someone. So he is the free man at that stage. He's got a big kick on him. He can bring a, a Tyrone player towards him and then pop the pass. It just it felt like he was putting him in a bit of trouble as it was before it even went on the ground. And then, yeah, Ban Gallagher has to react to the way it comes off the ground and it's just chaos from there on in. Yeah, there's no doubt there's mistakes in Patton. Like, I mean, Conor McKennis could have scored a goal because he spilled one. And we know he's not great under a high ball. But for all his brilliance from kickouts, Keen, I wouldn't be, like, you know, I wouldn't have 100% confidence in him. No, definitely not. And look, that incident sums it up with Bon Gallagher. Bon Gallagher wasn't even looking for the pass off. And like, usually in these situations, a goalkeeper has the ball. You see, you see a. a, a the outfield player kind of sprinting over to the goalkeeper to take the ball off him. And that's, it's fairly obvious then, okay, he wants the ball, like the keeper can pop it to him. But I mean, this was a lateral pass across the square to Bon Gallagher, who was actually being marked, as Conan said. Like, I mean, he wasn't even looking for the ball. Uh, so it probably came at him uh, probably a, as a little bit of a surprise to him that he wasn't looking for it. And then the quality of the pass is just dreadful. I mean, if, if you're taking... Uh, if you have to be, you have to be realistic and say that on a day of the of, with the weather conditions the way they were. I mean, it's just it's just such a bad decision and poor skill execution to put your cornerback under that level of pressure and completely needless. And I suppose Patton is very very lucky that that goal didn't cost Donegal the game. 
And he also spilled um, a shot from Richie Donnelly, which was kind of on his chest as well. So he he probably had, and he had a short kick out in the first half, which went straight to Tyrone and was a score from a Curry. So yeah. in terms of his overall contribution, it was not to the it was not to the standard we're used to expecting from Patton. Now we will say that his kick out for the Donegal goal was absolutely sensational. But if you look at the if you look at it overall, he probably cost the team one one and almost certainly should have cost him another one with the fumble that McKenna nearly got into the net. So um, he, he was probably um, over par for his day's play yesterday. Yeah, the reason I noticed that hand pass is because I was maybe the most shit hand passer you'll ever come across. I'd never go to chest. It always used to bounce in front of a lad and I'd be get, I'd be given out to... So the minute I went like that, that that's a woolly hand pass there that he's just after giving to him. I used to always do it with an open hand and that would expose fist anyway. My ha- And I couldn't hand pass off my worst, my weaker hand at all. It was just a dreadful, dreadful hand passer. So uh, definitely I was putting more of the blame on Patton there than poor Bon Gallagher who didn't even want it. There was another brilliant game in Clonus lads on Saturday and like I mean what drama in this game and we'll try to analyse this in part two because this game was all over the place it was absolutely you don't know how to make head nor tail out of it I don't know whether Mickey Graham deserves to be criticised after winning a game or whether he deserves to be lauded but anyways we'll get into that in part two but the Raymond Galligan free to win it Conan you were you were clocking this at 50 58 metres Thomas Galligan wait and you hear this Thomas Galligan who came on at half time only because James Smith was injured so here you go Mickey Graham again what an inspired substitution that he wouldn't have made if James Smith had been had been injured he caught the ball he wasn't fouled at all it was one of the softest frees to win an Ulster Championship match that you'll ever that you'll ever see take it from there Conan Raymond Galligan stands up <laughs> Raymond Galligan stands up and he's so clearly not 55 metres out because 55 metres is halfway between the 45 and 65 and he's, he's beyond the second white line so you can you can tell he's like he's even further there's four strips of paint in that space of 20 metres so each of them are 5 metres I can't believe I'm getting into detail about this but he's beyond halfway oh, I, I like this I like this <laughs> he's about 58 metres and like I, I, yeah, <laughs> if I was him I would be reminding everybody that it wasn't 55 it was a 58 metre winner was the last kick of the game but it was, was the foul down to the fact that when you catch a mark you're not allowed to be tackled for four for four steps is that what it was? Oh, I think it's I a very strange one there because yeah, I thought that was the advanced mark yeah, Galligan caught it and went, and it it was he was fouled after he had carried the ball on. So I, I don't know what the actual decision was for, but I think you're right. If you catch the if you catch a mark and you try to play on and you're tackled within the first yeah. four meter four steps or something, I think it's I think it's a free. And um, because it was unclear as to whether or not it was a mark, and if it was a mark, obviously uh, Galligan couldn't have uh, the goalkeeper Galligan couldn't have taken the, the free. So we can only assume that it was for uh, a tackle after he caught the mark. Yeah, I think maybe that was it to tackle after. I think that happened in the Derry Armagh match, did it, Conan? Like, I mean, or that was uh, noted in the in the commentary. Was it the Derry Armagh game? I've watched so many games this weekend. It, it was. That's why I'm sort of uh, more sensitive to it. As well. Like, you know, Armagh got one, and everybody in Derry was complaining because it's too unnatural for a defender not to tackle after a player wins the ball. But yeah, um, I'd say in that case, Thomas Galligan would have went off injured anyway and let Raymond Galligan come up and take it for him. Yeah, well, no, well, if it was a foul for being tackled, it, it wasn't a mark. It was for a foul for not being allowed, you you, you know, for not being left alone after you after you uh, catch it. Yeah, I'm glad you cleared. I'm glad you cleared it. The referee blew uh, normal time up 30 seconds early. Did you notice that, um, Keen? Like, I mean, Cavan had a kick out. And in the form Thomas Galligan was in, they could feel a little bit hard done by that they weren't given the time to actually try and force a winner. 
yeah, I, I kind of at the time I was a bit confused as to whether or not the um, the the TV footage had just got it wrong with how many minutes of additional time were added. You know, usually it's kind of a, a minimum of three minutes or whatever, and you might be three and a half, but it's it's very unusual for. Um, for the referee to blow it in, you know, under the time that he's given. So I don't know whether that was just a mistake by the referee, whether he was happy enough to uh, just give it, give it as a draw uh, based on the context of the game or what. But it's uh, it's something we don't see very often that a game is blown up short. What are we going to say about Desi Ward, Keena? Fair idea. I know what you're going to say. Like, I mean, you're playing against a gale force wind. And again, we'll get into analyse this in part two. You're playing against a gale force wind. You're left one-on-one with the goalkeeper. A goal is such an enormous score against the wind. Cavan got one in the first half, Pearson, an absolutely fantastic goal. You're one on one with the goalie. You're actually running towards him at pace, where one sidestep can completely open the goals up to you, and he fisted it over the bar. Yeah, and I think he probably had um, a better angle than Duffy had on the other fisted point from on yeah. the second half of the game. Um, look, even still, I know Duffy's a cornerback, but... Again, if I'm ever in that position, I mean, you have to go for the goal. I mean, I don't care what the game circumstances are necessarily, unless it's the last play of the game. Um, but it, particularly against the wind, when the goal was such a massive score, if you think of Pearson's goal for Cavan in the first half of the game, it turned out to be such a massive score in the game. And that was the most difficult, nearly of all the goal chances, you know, playing against the wind. You know, how he finished that was just superb. Um, and yeah, look, I'm sure Desi Ward will look back and think, you know, maybe I should have stepped inside the keeper and gone for the goal. I mean, they always, look, players will always weigh these things up and the context of the game, scores were very difficult to get. They'd only got one score. At that point, put them well clear in the game. Um, yeah. But I think in championship football, particularly in big games in championship football, when you sniff out these chances, I think you have to go for them. I don't think you'll ever regret afterwards going for them, but you will regret not going for them. Yeah, you maybe will. I would be less critical of Duffy because uh, Desi Ward's a wing forward a lot of the time as well. Like, I mean, he should be going for a goal there, especially the way the goalie came out to him. There was a clear option of cutting in and going for, you know, a shot on, on the left, whereas Duffy didn't really have the same angle, Cannon. Yeah, but that's it. Like, when you look at it from behind the goals, the way the keeper came out, it was actually his angles were all wrong there was there was either side that Ward could have gone you know it was, it was open for him any way he wanted to yeah he could have taken a better angle he could have cut in there were so many options and he didn't even think about it he just popped it over and what was he six seven yards out by the end of it it was um yeah ah, it was such a strange one and it's, that was their their last score of normal time as well like that that would have finished the game off yeah, exactly. Conan, you were watching Armad Derry. I, I had to watch some of the small ball here, so I didn't see all this game, um, only the highlights. Like, I mean, you can probably sum this up from the bits I saw. Derry, five points from play. Armad, 12 points from play. Derry made a comeback, but it's not, it wasn't like an edge of the seat comeback. You know, it was just a comeback from freeze and chipping away at Armad without going, Jesus, this is an amazing comeback. Yeah, and it was sort of an inevitable one because like, I know the wind doesn't win anybody a game, but the the wind when it's big in Celtic Park, it, it just it comes in from the foil, like there's, it's it's open at that end of the pitch and it it blows right up the pitch, so it's always obvious like the team that are going down towards the the clubhouse there have a, a big advantage. So it was expected that Derry would come back into it even when they were six down, but yeah, like Armad deserved to win. I think I think Derry will will rue some. Some things like J- Jamie Clark went off of a black card around the 50th minute. So for the last 20 minutes, he was gone for 10 of them down to 14 men. And Derry scored once at the very start of it and didn't score again. They didn't even get inside him. They had four shots and they were all sort of speculative from around the outside. 
I got him out, did a good job. Ryan Kennedy did a hell of a job on Shane McGuigan. He just he he bottled him up from play. McGuigan didn't score. Yeah. And, um, McGuigan, McGuigan was kind of forcing it from play. He was really going for kind of spectacular ones. He was, and and probably like some of that was was asked of him as well because like one of the things you could hear of, of Chrissy McKay, I felt sorry on him because he was doing a hell of a job on Ryan O'Neill and he was man marking him the whole game. But then you could hear Rory Gallagher at one point roaring in saying, "We need more from you, Chrissy." And it's like, well. You're you're robbing Peter to pay Paul. Like he's do, he's doing a job, that, like one of the most important jobs in the team, and it's all well and good asking him to to go now and and, and win the game for him and attack. And that was sort of the same. Like Niall Lachlan was Derry's best forward on the day, but Aidan Forker was marking him, and they ended up getting two points from play each. And Lachlan was following him down the pitch. You know, and we we had this conversation a couple of weeks ago. Like, do you let him off, and do you keep your your two forwards that? that don't have to share that responsibility, but he was losing energy just going down the pitch. I just thought Armagh got their, their matchups all over the pitch, right? I think Kieran McGinney does deserve a bit of credit and overall they, they deserve to win. Yeah, there was some fair old celebrations from Armagh at the end of the game. Like, they've, In fairness, they've beaten Derry. It's not like a heavyweight at the moment. Traditionally, uh, maybe. And then Jim McCurry was fairly bullish after the game. He says, maybe today we can put this myth that Armagh can't play against blanket defence that was a blanket defence today and we scored 17 points in atrocious conditions, Keen. And like I said, 12 from play. It's obviously something that they're a little bit annoyed about. But it, to be honest, it wasn't really a myth. They did struggle against defensive teams. Yeah, well, I suppose, look, Armagh have been probably topped up a good bit over the last number of seasons in terms of their forward unit and things like that. And look, they're probably flattered to deceive. They haven't really done it. So I suppose the question yeah. marks are always going to be there over a team until you actually achieve something or beat a team that you're not expected to beat. So, I mean, the challenge is still there for Armagh. They're, they're up to Division 1 for next season. Let's see how they get on in the league next year and let's see if they can actually compete. I mean, if you looked at the, the standard of the Donegal Tyrone game in what, what appeared to be more difficult underfoot conditions. I mean, the pace of the game, the physicality of the game, the, just the overall quality was just so far superior to the, to the Derry Armagh match. And I know, look, it's very difficult sometimes to do these comparisons, but when you watched one, you know, having watched the, the, the Donegal Throne game and then tried to watch the uh, the Derry Armagh game afterwards, I mean, look, it was just quite boring, turgid stuff by comparison. And it was, it was actually a hard watch compared to the Donegal Tyrone game before it. So maybe that just is a reflection of where both Derry and Armagh are at. Or maybe Armagh will raise their the level of their performance when they play against um I suppose a, a higher level team. Yeah, maybe they maybe do. I think Armagh would be able to put it up to uh, Donegal. To be fair, and I don't want to be too critical of him because Conor McKenna is a bit of a freak, but Conor Glass is no Conor McKenna, Conan. <laughs> you mind your mouth. Um, yeah, like, look, he's <laughs> McKenna's home a lot longer. Like, you know, Glass is literally only home about a month and he comes straight in. And, you know, and, and even at that, like, McKenna is a bit of a freaking, like, he was, he played 79 AFL games in five years out there. Like, you know, so he was already, he was starring out there. He was a superstar before he went over. Like, everybody's just excited to have Glass back. And, like, if he can get back to the level that he was at before he went over, which I, I'm sure he will, then. He'll be good. But again, Armagh targeted that well. They put Jarda Vogue Burns on him, who had a hell of a game, and he took him on a bit of a tour of the place as well. And Glass started to look like he was tiring. Um, because again, this is only his second full game of GA since 2015. So, um, yeah, look, uh, Jarda Vogue Burns had a good game, and Connor Glass is going to come good. So just, just watch yourself, will you? <laughs> 
<laughs> so Limerick are continuing on their brilliant form uh, from Saturday night. They're obviously promoted a bit like Wicklow and then won the first championship match. Ian Corbett, um, geez, he had some brilliant pass that led to the to uh, Waterford goal in the first half. Like, I mean, he's on the run. He is putting a, a ball off the outside of his boot straight into an attacker's um, hand without breaking stride. The attacker running almost at full full pace, and then like I mean, I was tweeting about this, Keen, and like some people said, back, were saying back to me, "Well, that's just uh, you know, you know, a reflection on where the game has gone that you're celebrating all right passes." And I was like, "Jesus, are we?" It, uh, that's, that was an exceptional pass, but I do take the point. You would see a pass like that in soccer pretty regularly. Have we have we become? you know, a sport that's celebrating something that we should probably go, yeah, nice pass, but let's move on. Yeah, well, I think it's a, it's a case of what's rare is wonderful at the minute because yeah. you don't see them in every game. I think in the past, look, let's face it, there was much more kicking in the game a number of years ago. There's less kicking now, I would say. And certainly those uh, risky or defence-splitting passes are rarer again. And maybe that's a reflection of the fact that defensive zones are generally more congested. He did have plenty of space to hit, but nonetheless, it was still a fantastic pass to, to, to hit a moving target, you know, at 50 metres, um, you know, with that type of a pass is, is impressive no matter what way you look at it. Um, so I think, look, and in fairness, I think the, a lot of the players like Corbett who have, who have performed quite well, we just don't get to see enough of their, I suppose, their highlights reel every now and again. Maybe that is a very standard pass for Corbett, but I suppose when we when we don't get to see these things on a regular basis in games, um, I think it's it's only right that they should be lauded when we do see them. And I think the, the reaction for most people is that um, they like to see those kinds of things. So, I mean, hopefully it, it encourages uh, a little bit more of that sort of creative and um, more ambitious type of passing from, from players. Yeah, I think that, like, I mean, we've talked about this before, Conan. If Dermot Connolly did that, it would be, you know, all over Twitter and social media. Like, I actually saw a video doing the rounds of Kieran MacDonald giving a very routine ball off the outside of his boot in the warm-up for Mayo. And it's like, look at Kieran MacDonald. Because they're famous for passing, every pa- good pass that they do is just completely, you know, over-discussed. Over uh, I completely agree. I, I did see somebody suggest that, that Corbett won... If it was Division One, then it would be talked up, you know, way more. And I don't know if that's the case. I, I think there's a different bracket within Division One. If Connolly or Kieran McDonald do it, then we do talk it up. But I actually think it's just sometimes a lack of understanding. Like as you mentioned, he's doing that on the run. The difficulty to slice that the way he did, and they make it inch perfect. And look, it, it opened up the whole defense that created the goal. And sometimes I just think in the analysis, there's a bit of just naivety and not understanding that 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 was hard to do to start off with and that was the most important part of that passage of play and he didn't even mention it yeah <laughs> so like i don't know if it's a division one thing or just uh poorly understand well I, yeah because i think it's it's the pace on the pass as well conan like he has to he has to you know he has to hit that pass with the right level of pace behind it that that it hits the runner on the chest like if that pass doesn't hit the runner exactly uh on the button the chance is gone um so we see a lot of players that, you know, they, they. I think the game, a lot of the time, people don't actually even look for that pass. I mean, no. it's very lateral or, or somebody looks for a simpler pass 30 yards away to retain possession. There's just a lack of ambition a lot of the time in players. And look, let's face it, that type of a, a pass, while it may have been in, in the armory of more players going back 10 years ago, I, I know it from playing club level and continuing to play club level that... 
less players, less and less players have that sort of skill set because it's not something that's maybe actively encouraged because if that pass doesn't work out, everybody's given out to the player for trying it. So I suppose, look, there's a, there's a happy medium there. Some lads should be given out to for trying a pass like that, whereas there's, there's, pl- there's plenty of lads who you'd be sort of trying to encourage to you know, have that sort of flair in their game. You're yeah. part of the problem, Cian. Like that, that's it. Like you know, there's too many people then who are discouraged from trying it. Like if it's Ian Corbett, then belt the way you can you can keep trying it. But then at a club level, usually that boils down to one player can try that pass, and anybody else is what the f- are you doing? You know, well, but, well, the way but, I look at it is, if you if you can't do it in training, don't be training it in a pressure championship match. Well, you have when you're talking about a kick pass. Uh, Niall Morgan just got pissed off the other day and launched one down the field with the wind, and it bounced over. I, thought, I think it could have been Bon Gallagher's head, and and Mark Bradley had the easiest point he's ever had in his whole life. There's nothing wrong with it, the odd launch. Like I mean, I just maybe I'm on a complete opposite end of the of the scale where I always wanted to kick pass and move it on down the field and get it down there. It's easier than hand pass. It's more enjoyable as well. I, I, I don't know what kind of player enjoys winning a, a, a tough ball and then just hand passing it off to someone else. What is the point in playing Gaelic football if that is your life? It's terrible. It's a desperate sport if you actually go through all the difficulties of getting belted, winning a good ball, the ball actually sticking to your chest, you actually shaking your man off, and then you decide just to hand pass it back to somebody else. What is the point There's of nothing thing? wrong with the odd, odd launch, says Colin Parkinson, a.k.a. kick the fucking thing in. <laughs> drive, drive it in. We're talking we're, we're talking about players that don't get much recognition, and Sam Mulroy got some recognition last night on League Sunday, and he scored 1-7, 1-2 from play. Not exactly spectacular 1-2 from play, because the Longford midfielder Darren Gallagher got 1-2 from play, 1-3 in total. So, like, I mean, let's not get carried away. The fact of, the fact it was everything loud scored, 1-7, Sam Mulroy scored. Now, Allowed players should hang their heads in shame that nobody else on that team could get a score that day. And their manager, Wayne uh, Kieran's, who was on this show before, um, Keane says, we're not a free-scoring team anyway. Sam scored everything today. It's probably something we need to improve. No shit, Wayne. It is probably something you need to improve. The idea that one player gets all your scores and it's probably something we need to improve. I would pretend to agree with that one. Yeah, well, I think um, it's a fair analysis of the of the game as it was played yesterday from their manager. I think might be the best way to put that. Um, yeah, it's it's it, look, it's a very unusual thing for one player to to get all of his team's tally. Like, even if you have a very high scoring forward, you usually have a number of other players who can who can chip in. And look, one seven for the entire team, you know, one seven to one nine. They're not big tallies when you when you consider the some of the high scoring games we had elsewhere yesterday. So. Look, when we don't, when you only see a couple of highlights of a game, it's very difficult to judge. But look, you can only imagine it was a fairly turgid type of a game with, with you yeah. know, lack of scoring opportunities. So look, it's still you have to credit the man for scoring all of his team's total is fair going, particularly um in a in what what is a low scoring game to get one seven is pretty impressive. And look, he shot the lights out for them in their in their couple of league games before that as well. So. He's, they've obviously, uh, I suppose, maybe when a player, when you have a player like that in your team, maybe the focus of the attack is maybe channeled, maybe sometimes a little bit too much through the one player. But when nobody else is contributing, I suppose it's easy to see why that would be. 
Yeah, exactly. Parik Davis was speaking after that game, obviously, that Longford won, and he was talking about the last game against Cork, so it's only fair that we give Parik a chance to explain himself, considering that we've been kind of unanimously uh, in agreement uh, criticising him. He says, I think we were unfairly treated. We went to Derry against the wishes of so many people, parents. A lot of pressure came on guys not to travel because of Derry Straban uh, COVID-19 situation, and rightly so. The next day, if a game doesn't have to take place, it shouldn't. That's how we felt about it. He said, we were not going to beat Cork because we were focused on this game today. You know, a fair enough point, I suppose. And he says, let's face it, Loud were not going to beat a full down team. Down put out six or seven debutants, so you can talk about permutations and say that Longford did deprive Derry. No, it didn't. I suppose if they, were, they had their idea, a bit like, I suppose a bit like Donegal going to Kerry and resting a lot of players, um, Conan. The idea, if they were focused on the loud game, they should still have just put out their own 21 team, I suppose, and kept the integrity. I don't want to get too much into it, but actually, I won't even throw that to you. I'll just give Porrick Davis his, his right his right to reply, because we've do, we've definitely uh, spoken enough about that. Leitrim beat, uh, or Mayo beat Leitrim comfortably in the end. Obviously, the win gave Leitrim a decent start, but look, there's be a fair old gulf in class uh, between these two teams. Seven debutants. What are Mayo doing here, uh, Conan? They're still experimenting. Like, I had to text Connor uh, last, I think it was Friday night, Rory Brickenden named at centre-back. I said, who the hell is this fella for a championship match? I'd never seen the name written down on a Mayo team before. It's like, what is, how is James Horan still given seven debutants and, you know, experimenting to the extent that he is with his team at this stage of the season? Because if he didn't, then all we'd be here is, oh, that's the same old Mayo team from from back in 2016 or whatever it was. Like, I, I, I had two league games there and they needed to they need to stay up. Maybe he thought that this Leitrim match, and like I know that's, that is disrespecting Leitrim, but maybe he thought this is the best chance to, to give him a, a run out. And it's less time for Ross Common to see what they're up to as well, because obviously they've been training since September, Mayo officially. And, like, you know, he probably knew that these boys were going well and we are going to try and. We're going to try and target the Roth Common game with with these players who I, I think are up to it. Like, why not try someone else? They haven't won what Connacht since twenty fifteen. So, yeah, it's probably probably time to go in a, a different direction. Yeah. Now, to be fair, Rory Brickenden didn't start. It was uh, Michael Plunkett started in the end, which is more of a familiar face. Maybe maybe I'm being a bit harsh on Mayo in that their full forward line seems to be completely settled. The Tommy Conroy goal, I have to say, was a perfect example. Who were we criticising recently for playing the ball? Um, I think it was always oh, a Tyrone player for playing the ball when they're bearing down on goals. Tommy Conroy got a hand pass back. He used about six steps before he shot at goals. That's what you do when you get the ball. You use your free steps. And if you can buy one or two, Keane, buy one or two. And then a Keane O'Connor goal uh, got, a, got a nice slice of help from the Leitrim wing back who came across and pushed his goalkeeper out of the way from saving it. Yeah, I thought, I thought the Killian O'Connor goal was pretty funny, all right, because he actually just ended up kicking the ball straight down the middle of the goal. Straight down, uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, look, um, they, they've, I suppose when you talk about their debutants, I mean, a number of them have just probably formed players that have, have managed to grab a hold of the jersey and, and, and stick and stick in there uh, from their performances, probably against in the Galway match particularly. Um, and there's no doubt that uh, Tommy Conroy in the corner is a great find for them. Like He, he has real life for goal and he's dangerous. And it, even the goal that he did get in previous years, Mayo have never wouldn't have had a forward who would have taken on a goal chance there. They would have just clipped their point and that would have been it. He drove into the space and manufactured the goal chance for himself and his finish was brilliant. So, I mean, from that point of view, I'm sure he'd be delighted with his debut and the Mayo management, I'm sure, and delighted to have uncovered a forward of that calibre and to have Killian O'Connor back pulling the strings there 
either in the half forward line and breaking forward, getting on the end of moves. I mean, there, there was a bit of vibrancy at times to Mayo and some of the scores that they got. But again, much bigger challenges will lie ahead. And next weekend again, or this weekend against Roscommon will be a massive, massive test for them to see if these new players are, are up to the standard of the great stalwarts that Mayo have had for a number of years. Yeah, definitely. We'll talk a bit more about Mayo. Um, that's obviously one of the big games next weekend. James Horan came out with one of the greatest managerial cliches after the game. He says, we've a huge amount of work to do. Now, I'd accept that if you have a month a month to go before the next game. Like, What huge amount of work are you going to get done in two training sessions between now and Roscommon? Like, I mean, and you pull up, you pull these managers up on those kind of generic comments and they'll just bluff you off by saying, oh, well, you know, turnovers and, you know, a bit of, uh, you know, <laughs> some of our forward play. Well, you know, you can't really catch them out on it, but uh, I don't think we've a huge amount of work to do works when you have a game the very next weekend. Um, uh, oh, yeah, because we've a huge amount of work to do. They're Division 2 champions. So he's definitely talking about Roscommon there. Come here, what, watch this, lad. So Carlo lost to Offaly at the weekend um, yesterday. They had a great comeback. They were eight down at one stage and they got it back to two. Offaly ended up uh, winning by uh, three in the end. Paul Broderick sent a penalty over the bar. He tried to um, rattle the net. And then Niall Carew was quoted after the game and he says, I will be hoping that we will get back training in two weeks' time for pre-season. And there are a few... <laughs> Jesus, like, I mean, I nearly... I got shocked. I had to read it twice. I, got it. I was. I would be hoping we will get back to training in two weeks' time for pre-season. And there are another few lads in Carlo I would like to take a look at as well. Pre-season. Now, I'm not going to criticise them too much. This is pre-season time, Colin. It just sounds so bizarre that we haven't even reached semi-finals in the provincial championships and we're talking about pre-season. Can you imagine the, the players when they hear that quote? Like, oh, <laughs> this guy, is he, is he for real? Because like they haven't really had a time off. I know there was a big gap of, of uh, the pandemic, but but they've been training. Like They've been training with a, a view to this all coming back, and we, we need to be ready for when it does come back. And, uh, and now they're going straight into the pre-season, take two weeks off. Like That's... That's depressing, but like, yeah, it probably is what they what they have to do. You can't blame them for it, really, I suppose. Well, that's the thing, Keen. You can't really, really blame them. Now, I know I think the season's going to start a little bit later uh, next year. And to be fair to Carew, I don't want to be overly critical because he only ca- he only took over in the middle of the season, so he does need a decent preseason with them. Ah, he does. Yeah, well, I'm sure they they'll be given two weeks of active rest um, now after the season <laughs> has ended, and uh, and they'll be allowed to get back into things then. But look, it is difficult when they don't have. I think no matter what, as a group of players, if you don't have a fixture or a schedule to look forward to, which as far as I'm aware, there's no schedule for for the 2021 season yet. It's very very difficult to structure your training and do all of those types of things. So, I mean, what what as a manager, what can he what work can he actually do with them? Over the next period of months, it can only be strength and conditioning work. Yeah. And unless you have a load of kind of new guys onto your squad, um, I mean, Carlo probably have a number of players who've been there for a few seasons. They kind of know what they need to be doing at this stage, I'm sure. And they, I, I have no doubt that they're um, well, well kind of involved with Carlo IT there, where there's a fairly fairly good uh, setup. So I'm sure, look, at it, it's just a case of a new manager probably touching base with players, trying to understand who's in for the for the next season and just getting them going with, with strength and conditioning programmes for, for a period of weeks, I'm sure up to Christmas. I mean, I would see no benefit to to any inter-county um, team doing collective training between now and Christmas. I mean, it, it just of no benefit to any player at all, really, because they're given the work that they can do themselves then that's what they should be. That's what they should be working on because, even psychologically, as Conan has said, even though there was a large gap in fixtures, there was no real downtime for players. They were all training away because they knew that they had to be 
vegetables doing this another a mid-season pre-season to ensure that they were in the physical condition to be able to compete when championship did come around um, and so there was and there's a little bit of, there was probably a lot of stress with players as well knowing is, is this going to happen is it not going to happen am I doing all this training for no reason and that, that does affect players no matter what way you look at it so I think a bit of freshness for, for every county player probably at the end of whenever they are knocked out of the championship a bit of freshness up to Christmas um, would probably do them all no harm, but I mean, each manager is going to try and stamp their own authority on it in whatever way they see this. Yeah, I don't know what the clear footballers are going to do because Colin Collins didn't speak to the media afterwards. Um, so there's definitely doubt um, about his future. They lost convincingly enough to Tipperary yesterday. Clear scored 1-2 towards the end. Kind of consolation uh, scores, you'd have to say... Uh, uh, Connor Sweeney outstanding again as usual he's just completely consistent consistently high scorer um, for Tipperary and is doing it for years um, interesting that Colin, o- Colin O'Reardon is in the is in the Tipperary backroom team he can't play um, with him but he's down in, in the programme as a team mentor um, which is interesting and is off and the other result is Wicklow we, we talked uh, to Davy Burke last week Wicklow went and beat Wexford again um, a goal just before half time you'd have to say when they're playing with the wind or, or playing into the wind after Wexford um, being the better team that's just a demoralising effect on Tanny team and then they scored another goal in the second half to 1-2-9 uh, to 11 points just to finish up before we get into this Les because we've, we'd have to fly through um, we have to fly through all this stuff who, who's your favourite broadcaster uh, Keen? I'll start with you we've got we, we've now seen RTE we've seen Sky with their sound effects and Grania McIlwain who is 100 times better than Rachel Wise she doesn't look absolutely terrified that the conversation might go somewhere that she hasn't a clue about. Um, she's completely natural and relaxed, and you'd en- you enjoy Kieran Donaghy and McGuinness. Uh, I loved her sound effects, like I said. For me, I, I saw BBC yesterday. Mark Sidebottom is a dose of the highest order. I couldn't listen to that man, um, <laughs> in fairness. Like, I mean, you, you, you look at RTE, uh, I think the lack of sound effects um, kind of annoys me um, a little bit. O'Rourke and Tomas O'Shea, good. I'm not sure why they have to punish Joanne Cantwell and leave her outside for two full games of the freezing cold. But look, that's uh, I think that's something to do with um, having too many staff members inside in the studio with the late the late show um, going on later on that night. Anyways, who 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 is it for you? RT Sky or BBC Keen? Um. Well, I, I like the uh, I like Oshin McConville and Peter Canavan. I think I, they'd be my preferred analysts of of uh, of everyone that I've seen. Um, to be honest with you, they're all pretty good. I, I like the new presenter, Sky. I think she's very relaxed and lets lets it flow a little bit better. It was a bit yeah. stilted in previous years. It was a bit. Bit, bit, bit kind of pre-rehearsed or something. I kind of like the flow of conversation at times between them. Tomas O'Shea and Colin Rourke are always very good and interesting as well. Um, to be honest with you, Colin, they're all pretty good. I can't. I, I don't really have any uh, any any favourite of them all. And uh, I, I I quite like Mark Sidebottom at times, but maybe maybe he's somebody that you you have to only take in small doses, perhaps because I, I've only had five I've only had five minute snippets of him. So. Um, I look at it. I think they're all. I think they're all equally good, Callum. Side bottom has to be an acquired taste, Conan. I don't watch that many games on BBC, but it would definitely take me a while to to you know find anything remotely entertaining. He seems to make try to make it all about himself rather than about the match and about the pundit. Have to say, at the moment, because I'm such a huge fan of the side effects, and I think it's I'm more of a fan of it with Gaelic football because they seem to get the timing much better whereas the hurling you're not sure if the ball's gone over the bar and the, the cheer 
always comes too late. Whereas like Carlo Connell's goal chance, for example, in the Mayo Cavanagh, they got that spot on. They got they, they seem to get the timing better in Gaelic football. I like the constant kind of din. It makes it feel like it's more of a championship match. And I have to say, if I had the choice with Gráinne McIlwain um, presenting it, if I have the choice for the All-Ireland Final when it's on both Sky and RT, I'll be going for Sky. Interesting, yeah. Like I, I, I like the sound effects because I think it really added to that Calvin Monaghan game as well. Now, that was a game that did lend itself to having those sound effects and... It's just, it's just, it's just a natural sound. Like you know, where sometimes you might tend to switch off and you're not really concentrating on the game, and then you know sometimes the right sound can just spark you back in. You, you know it like yourself. It's just a an automatic rhythm within you. So when it's not there, I think it's more, it's more jarring. I, Mark Sidebottom is a, is an interesting one. He used to do the commentary on BBC, and every time he did it, like he was he was trending within seconds on Twitter because he was very very annoying as a commentator. And they did take the decision to get him out of there and. Thomas Niblock has been class. Oshin Langan made his debut there on commentary for the Derry game, um, and he was pretty good. So I, I think BBC, sometimes when it's simple, it's it's really good. I think as Keane says, Peter Canavan and, and Oshin McConville are such a, a good team. But then almost they were falling into the sky trap where they moved down to the pitch then and had separate analysis. With, I think it was Kieran McKeever and Carol O'Hanlon. Caroline O'Hanlon. No need for that. Yeah, no need for that. And, and that, that's my problem yeah, with I, as well. Too much going on. Yeah, it's very strange. I think like what what they should be trying to do is give more time to the likes of Ushie McConville and Peter Canavan. Give them more screen time. Let them let them develop their points a bit more, and even have a bit of interaction between themselves around certain talking points. I think, I think when it's overly steered, it's ah, look, it's just not as entertaining. You don't get the same depth of analysis that you would like. Yeah, and like I do, no, sorry, sorry, Conan, just to cut you off there because like I mean. It's difficult for us to do this here because none of us can see each other in the studio. It's easier to get a bit of conversation going. But I think it's Sidebottom's ego that consistently has to come back to him for every question to introduce. And you don't see McConville and Canavan chatting together at all. No, and that's it. And you can see that sort of happen naturally in RT because Tomas O'Shea is like obviously getting more and more experience and he's really good anyway. And Colin O'Rourke and they were sort of going at it themselves, and Joanne Kentwell, obviously brilliant as she is, was able to step back and let them do it, whereas your right side bottom always wanted to come in just with a with a little joke, and and the worst about that was that McConville and Canavan weren't having any of it, you know, so he was making a joke, and there was just nothing coming back from them too, and they just wanted to talk about the, the tight game. Yeah, I would call his, his jokes quips rather than uh, side bottom quips. Um, but anyways, listen, we'll leave it there, lads. We'll come back and we'll talk about the match. Dear, it's great to finally get to interview you. Yeah? Oh, really, yeah? <laughs> do you, do you, why do you, is it great? Why do you not do many interviews? I don't know, really. Um, I wasn't being asked to do a whole while. Really? Yeah. Have you ever rang me? I know we spoke about the defensive side of things. If you're coming in and you want to be, if you want to be the Woody Parkinson and and just play for myself and an, mean, an intercounty corner forward isn't just hatching inside either. He's, no, you know, no. He's, unfortunately for you, Woody, it won't last forever. You can ask ex-players that. You can ask your, you know that yourself, Woody. Yeah, um, mine never started at yeah, all. Well, <laughs> that's, that's neither here nor there. All right, so Donegal won 13, Tyrone won 11, and we've made the point that, you know, considering the conditions, this was a very, very entertaining game. I suppose the analysis we did last Thursday, a lot of it was based around the kickouts and the big men Donegal had. And I think, Keen, that kind of came true, really. Like, they had way more options. 
um, from kickouts, way more ball, way more ball winners. And to be honest, outside of the first quarter, for me, Donegal were were the better team. Yeah, I think Tyrone started the game brilliantly. Their first fifteen minutes, they were definitely the the team on top, and there was a bit kind of more pace to their play. They were just that bit sharper than Donegal. But I suppose Donegal, as they always do, they have a very clear pattern of play and a very clear style, and they just gradually kind of ground their way into the game and. You know they've they've huge physical presence around the middle of the field, McFadden and Langan and these guys, and they're just they're also very good footballers. And I think particularly in the second half, I think in the first half of the game, look, the the goal that they got was an absolutely crucial score because it was a real sucker punch for Tyrone, who had still been kind of probably the, the better of the two teams, and that kind of turned the tide a little bit for Donegal on the scoreboard. And then second half of the game, Michael Murphy started to come out around the middle of the field, and he just really dictated the game. He controlled the game, and um, they had their kind of long periods of uh, possession. Um, and they would just kind of ground their way through the game. And if you take the the Tyrone goal was was pretty much a mistake for Donegal as well. I mean, if you take the goal out of it, I think it was one twelve to six points or something would have been kind of the the score tally after the first maybe fifteen minutes, something like that. So it was it was quite dominant from Donegal in that in those exchanges. But Tyrone will certainly be kicking themselves because they had even in the snippets of play where they did get um, through the Donegal defence, they just didn't take their chances, they missed in the second half particularly Kieran McCann with a bad miss Mark Bradley clipped the score when he should have maybe, it was the final defender was Michael Murphy in front of him, he should have taken him on um, and gone for the jugular Peter Hart, I'm pretty sure went for a point when he should have hand-passed the ball across to McKenna for a goal, so even though yeah. Donegal were the more control team for the game, Perone still had chances, and look, that's just a reflection of the fact that both teams are, like, Donegal are slightly better than Tyrone but they're still Tyrone are still a very dangerous team and they had their opportunities in the game. So I think like it was an evenly poised game, which Donegal just, I suppose, shaded. And the, the key battleground for them was in that middle third because they play such a possession-based game that if, if they're dominant in that middle third of the game, in the middle third of the pitch, it gives them the platform for everything that they do. Yeah, the, the Peter Hart... Uh... Ch- chance that he went for it's hard to know I'd say he did go for a point as well Conor McKenna was inside him now you have to give that to McKenna McKenna was criminally underused yesterday Conor to the point where for the first time ever on a pitch I'd say he's a fairly positive fella I think it was Michael McKernan had a couple of chances to give him a diagonal ball McKenna had the hand up and he didn't do it and you know just why would you be starving your best player of possession and leaving him in a full forward line where he was neither getting any ball in there nor was he able to do anything further out the field? Like, I mean, it just wasn't good enough from Tyrone from that point of view. No, it wasn't. And, and these were these were clutch moments, big opportunities to, to put the game away. Like, Hart has to give it to McKenna or at the very least, let, let's see what happens. Like, go forward, you're free. Like, you're in on goal with the keeper and one man. And there's two of you. If you keep going, the two of them are going to come to you. Then pop it to McKenna. Or just put it away yourself. Like, he caught the ball and had already decided, I'm putting this over, we're, we're getting level and we're going on with it. And this was only about a moment after Mark Bradley as well had Michael Murphy one-on-one. Now, I know that's, like, Michael Murphy's massive. Mark Bradley's not. But that's also an opportunity. Like, he didn't even... Didn't even try to test him to see if he could take it on round him. I thought he's in and he just stuck it over as well. And just just these moments where like McKenna obviously missed a free later on, but in a way I almost feel a bit of sympathy for Mickey Hart because it's like like those opportunities were there for Tyrone to to kill them and 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 they weren't killers. Like we talked about Conroy for Mayo, just just that sense of like, you know, I'm taking my sixth depth and finding the net here. 
like Peter Hart definitely needed to be thinking red, like this is danger, let's go. And he, he just decided beforehand, I'm putting it over and going running back out. Yeah, because the, the manner in which the opportunity came about, it was a turnover, it was a ball in, then it was a layoff to hard run and a pace, and it was goal written all over it. So that's kind of where the frustration comes from. Bit of indiscipline from Tyrone as well. They lost by two points, Keane. They had two frees for Kieran Thompson brought up. They also had Maddie Donnelly. Now, it was a fairly soft free against Maddie Donnelly. It was blown for, it was blown for um, pulling a jersey, um, pulling a jersey off the ball. Yeah, it's their killer. Like if from from a teammate and from manager's perspective, I mean, absolute killer because both frees were look with the form that that that, the, that Thompson was in, he might have kicked them anyway, but he certainly made them far easier bringing them in. He, they made them from low low percentage shots into almost guarantees. And when you lose by two points and you can see two scores like that, you're you're obviously going to be very frustrated from from a management perspective and also from a teammate of a guy who who shows that little bit of ill discipline. But just to go back to your previous point about McKenna being underused like you could see there was a couple of balls went into him in the second half when when Tyrone were playing with the wind and he was fingertip stuff away from getting in for goal on kind of both occasions there was one where he managed to bump the Donegal defender out of the way and the ball just spilled in behind where he got a hand on it so I mean you can totally understand I've played in games like that myself as an inside forward where you really think there's massive opportunity here and you're just begging for lads you know that's where that's where you definitely have the full forward uh, shouting at the field let it in to fuck because you're you're just there saying, Jesus, just give me a couple of balls. I only need to get one of them. And you're right, McKernan and other players were coming down the wing and they had an opportunity to pop the ball across to the contest where McKenna would always be backing himself, particularly when Neil McGee was gone off the field. So look, a couple of things like that. And, you know, they took on shots and didn't get them. So I suppose, again, Brown had their opportunities and just that, that was it on the day they didn't take. So frustrating day for them, yeah. sure. Well, that, that was the big thing, Neil McGee gone off the field, which really was uh, it was just a head-scratcher why Tyrone's whole kind of game plan in the second half wouldn't have been to go through McKenna as much as possible, especially because they left him inside and McGee was gone off. So it didn't it didn't really make sense. But it was a much-improved performance, you'd have to say, from Tyrone, Conan, in Donegal's faces. None of that kind of leisurely... Like, we know... We, we, suggested at the time in the league game that this was just a bit of a rope-a-dope type thing. This wasn't a Tyrone in the championship. Donegal weren't allowed to just play, you know, relaxed football on the outside of Tyrone. Tyrone actually made a real game of it by by uh, doing a much better pressing job on Donegal. There was, and that's what I'm saying, because like, there was a lot of questions I know it's the end of the season and he's been there a long time and maybe it is time for a change, but that this isn't the game off the back of to start talking about Mickey Hart potentially leaving. No. Do you know what I mean? Because like they did everything that they should have done. They had the chances to win and and I'd say he's just frustrated at some of those chances going begging and just little things like, you know, Tyrone got the goal, then Donegal went straight up, panicked, and they missed. Niall Morgan caught the ball and he just booted it down the pitch. Donegal got the ball again and Jamie Brennan scores and that sets off Donegal scoring four in a row where it's like Tyrone had just scored a goal, gone two up. They had possession again, Donegal giving it away. Now he's a chance to hold it and build that and get a third point, but they, they seemed to panic. There was a few scrambling moments and, and even just throughout, like, we, we, like obviously Morgan's kickouts were being targeted and Donegal were going after that. They wanted them to go long, but to that end, I was very surprised at, at how slow Morgan was at getting the kicks out. If he wanted to get it out short every time, why was he not hurrying up? Like, get the ball on the on the tee, the way we see Cluxton do it. Get it out quickly. Instead, he was taking his time. And then by the time they were looking for a short, Donegal had everybody in place. I just felt like they 
they, they, they had plenty of chances to win, but they made it too easy sometimes for Donegal as well. Yeah, there's no doubt there was going to be uh, mistakes in the game, but it's an interesting one with the kickouts with Morgan. Maybe there is an element of trying to tie, time waste in it. He got a few off to the into the left corner back position, Keane. Um, two or three of them off, and I was surprised at how easy Donegal allowed Tyrone get out. Usually when you see Dublin there, they're kind of using the sideline as an extra man and shepherding you kind of out over the line, whereas Tyrone were able to go short to the left cornerback position and work the ball out up the field. Yeah, I thought Morgan's kickouts were were really good. I thought he had a good game generally, um, and particularly in the first half, um, he picked a few you know really good ones through the eye of the needle. Um, but look, I think overall... Donegal wouldn't be overly happy with how aggressively they would have pressed um, the Tyrone kickouts, particularly in the first half with the wind at their back. I was quite surprised that they didn't go ultra aggressive on that and force Morgan to kick long because that's where Donegal um, have their major strength or had, certainly had the advantage over Tyrone in the game. Yeah, I thought I thought Donegal were very impressive closing the game out, Conan. You mentioned Michael Murphy. Uh, I thought his performance in the second half was really, really good. I think the second half of the second half it was even better. Interesting one putting Matty Donnelly on him. I called this last Thursday. Would probably like to have seen Matty Donnelly go forward a little bit more. We saw it in the first half. He scored a point. But, you know, like, I mean, if you're marking Michael Murphy, I think when they saw Donnelly on him, maybe they played Michael Murphy, I suppose, especially um, with the wind, they played him in the full forward line a lot more. Yeah, and like you saw, Murphy was willing to go with him the whole way. Like that scores a good example of why they probably should have done it more. Like you know, just get got Murphy on the back foot. We, Parry Hamsey did such a good job on him one year in an Ulster final. Um, you know, and I think he outscored Michael Murphy that day. So those opportunities were there. Like and Matty Donnelly's such a big player for Tyrone, but and I think uh, Tomas O'Shea and Colin O'Rourke had it right at halftime where they were saying the the big players aren't featuring as much. But then Murphy just he just kept coming into it stronger and stronger. Like. He dropped way more ball than, than Murphy might normally do. Obviously, the conditions played into that, but it's just it's just such a he absorbs so much pressure and so many tackles and just gives him that that out every time. Yeah, and I suppose Donegal closing the game out. I think um, Young Gallen um, got a brilliant point at the end. It was after a sustained amount of of kind of keep ball keen, and this is not keep ball on the outside of Tyrone. Like I said, this is Tyrone trying to get the ball back. They're chasing the game, and Donegal are able to keep the ball in those conditions. And end up with a point. Yeah, I thought it was look. It was a brilliant move in terms of just the, the ball retention under pressure, taking good decisions. You know, always taking it away from the Tyrone contact. And in fairness to Gallant, when he did get the opportunity, he kind of was quite patient in his positioning and then stepped inside in a great finish. And look, he was a bright spark for them. I think from the from the Kerry League game, Kieran Thompson and Gallant were probably the two better players for for Donegal and they carried Langan. that on this weekend and Langan in fairness had a superb game as well I mean look he's a he's an excellent player um, so I mean look it, it bodes quite well for Donegal with that sort of talent that they have um, and look I suppose having taken Perone out of the equation and with Monaghan also gone out of Ulster um, I mean it's, it's opened up beautifully for Donegal and they're obviously very very strong favourites to, to retain their Ulster title which I, th- I think is it would that be three in a row for them if they win it this year yeah so yeah, hugely, it'll impressive. Be. hugely impressive. 
Yeah, exactly. I thought Michael Langan deserved man of the match as well, lads. I mean, he was the difference maker in a tight game. Like, 1-2 from play in a game like that was just incredible. Not saying he was hugely involved in the game. You know, he, he fought hard, but, like, I mean, he made the difference. He made the difference with an outstanding individual goal and two great points as well. So I thought he probably deserved the, the man of the match. Talking about Monaghan, lads, they're going out. And, like, I mean, like I, I said, Conan, at the start here, how whether to give Mickey Graham credit for this or not. Like, I mean, Cavan were wide open in the first half playing against the wind they were really defensive in the second half playing with the wind like I mean they somehow managed to draw this game based on their last quarter performance like probably played well in the first quarter and the last quarter and the the two in between um, were a bit of a disaster (laughs) unless uh, Mickey Graham just knew that Bunty would end up overthinking it (laughs) like I think he had to react because Monaghan's forwards they were just freewheeling weren't they like they were just so like they look so potent. Cavan looked so open every time they went at them. And I, I do think even though they were down, they had to do something to shore it up a little bit. Just like even even to, to get a foothold back into the game and to stop leaking. But then obviously Monaghan, the way they reacted, really helped out because Monaghan decided that after 50 minutes, we're not going to try and score again. And like you know, we'll hope that Cavan won't score six points in the last 25 minutes of the game. So it was... um. I think Mickey Green does deserve credit because he did have to react. If it had it kept going the way it was going, Monaghan would have just gunned them and they would have they would have put them away. But uh, I think Bante deserves more criticism for for losing it. I think it was there for Monaghan and they they took their foot off. I guess. I, I thought uh, Jim McGuinness's analysis after the game, Keen. I, I was kind of a little bit critical of it in that he focused on Monaghan not going to win the game. You know, after half time, so like they have a seven point lead. They are. Um, playing against the wind, Kavanagh dropping off them, and Monaghan decided to play a bit of keep ball and wind down the clock. Now, I don't know, it's very easy at the end when they lose the seven-point lead based on the last quarter, but up until the water break in the second half, you would have said Monaghan were perfectly comfortable. That was maybe 20 minutes into the second half. Kavanagh only won that 20 minutes by a point with the wind, and I would have thought, if why don't Kavanagh want to get back in this game rather than criticise Monaghan? Yeah, well, I think there's, there's two things there. I mean, Look, when Cavan were dropping off the way they were in the second half of the game, we would have all said that they're setting themselves up to try and counter-attack on Monaghan. So, I mean, the conventional wisdom is that it would be foolish for Monaghan to push all their players forward and get turned over in the tackle and allow Cavan to break on them. I mean, we'd all agree with that, I think. Um, So Monaghan, to a certain extent, probably managed the game reasonably well up until that final water break period. But then what happened after that is Cavan kicked a load of monstrous scores <laughs> and they got a couple of them in yeah. quick succession I mean like if you go back I mean Luke Fortune their wing back kicked two absolute bombs of points from outside the 45 and I think it was Gerald Smith or uh, the other wing back whose name is just uh, escapes me at the yeah Gerald Smith he kicked, he kicked uh, an equalising point off the outside of his boot from well out on the wing so I mean with the exception of Grode McKernan getting um, a couple of scores from inside the scoring zone most of Cavan's scores were from were from kind of range, and Monaghan had uh, had the defensive cover in place. So, look, maybe you could. They were they were great scores from Cavan, and they deserve credit for that. The one criticism I would have of Monaghan is that they did overdo it in the final quarter of the game, where they did have opportunities to go forward. There were occasions where the right yeah. thing to do was to keep possession and keep the ball moving around because Cavan had numbers. But there was a number of occasions where Monaghan had the ball. And rather than the player looking forward first to see what was on, 
the the instinct was to turn around and run back towards their own goal. And that just looks very bad. And when you lose a game yeah. and you do things like that, it looks very bad. So but now that could have been there was maybe two or three incidents like that in the second half. Well, yeah, but were they were they in and the first it, were they in the first were they in the first quarter of the second half or in the second quarter? I thought Monaghan did more of that turning around and refusing to attack more in the first quarter. Personally, I would give Cavan more credit for their, for their kind of domination of the final quarter than necessarily Monaghan criticism. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Like McKernan and Thomas Galligan took over around the middle of the field um, for parts of the second half. And that, and particularly in the final quarter, Galligan totally took over. So, I mean... Cavan pressed right up on Monaghan, didn't give them the short kick out, and had won the ball when it went out to the middle and attacked and kicked some great scores from distance and actually missed a couple of chances as well. Cavan, when they got themselves back into the game, Gerald McKernan had a pot shot. They had a couple of pot shots which were poor enough efforts, and I thought they'd actually lost their chance. And then, like, that's enough for that. Conor McMahon has kicked, I think, three wides in the second half uh, in the final quarter, and all of them are scores, none of them easy, but scores that you would expect forward of his calibre to get. So yeah, four, four ways executed. Yeah, so like both teams made mistakes and their, their execution at, at the end of it was kind of off. And both managers can take credit for some elements of what they did and they can take criticism for other elements. Like Monaghan played with a sweeper for the entire game against a team that's just relegated to Division 3. And you can make the argument that as a starting point, that wasn't the right tactic at all. But yet Monaghan were seven points up at half time despite playing that way. And they just continued on in that fashion. And look, it just seeped into them where they got into that whole attitude of retain what we have. And that makes sense to a certain extent. Like the message I'm sure to the players was keep possession, don't take it in contact. And that's well and good. But on the field, players have to take responsibility that when the opportunity does present itself to you know, punch a hole or kill yeah. the game, that you take that opportunity. But I think it's more Cavan deserved credit than criticism of Monaghan, if I'm honest. Well, that's the thing, Conan. I suppose I, I just had a look back at this second half and Monaghan had five kickouts in the third quarter and Cavan pressed none of them. They a kind of half-hearted press where Dermot Malone came on as a sweeper and he wasn't pressed in any way, shape or form. And it was either going short to him or it was going short to somebody who was trying to split him and somebody else. So, like, I mean, then in the fourth quarter, Cavan pushed a player up on Malone and Begum was forced into midfield for most of those eight kickouts and Cavan won five of them. So, like, I mean, for me, that was the analysis in Cavan had woke up and said, look, let's throw caution to the wind. Let's not be conservative. In a, in a small way, I don't criticise Cavan too much for going defensive in the second half, even though they had a win, because Monaghan opened them up at will in the first half. They had five goal chances and only took one of them. You know, like, I mean, so in a way, you can see where Mickey Graham was saying at halftime, geez, lads were being opened up, you know, try a counter-attack game this half, even though they had played with the win. The whole game was just confusing from start to finish, Conan. No, and that's it, Willie. Like you're, you're right. If if Mickey Graham didn't do that, that that would have been so stupid. It's like Monaghan were ripping you apart. React, do like change the game, and and you're also right about the the kickouts as well. Like that's where Cavan deserves serious credit. They stepped up. Their big players stepped up. Like Keane mentioned, Luke Fortune's big score. It reminded me of like a, a Paddy Durkin sort of style one. It was so far out off the laces. You know, and just at the right time, inspirational. And McKieran caught the next ball and puts it over. You know, one two with Marty Marty Riley, and like in thirty seconds, that that six point lead is cut to four. But that's that's where my only criticism of Monaghan is that I get what you're saying about keeping the ball, especially if Cavan are playing that way. But they have to they have to realize that six point lead is good, and that's it's right to play that way when you're doing that. But if you're deciding not to score anymore. 
then, then the six-point lead isn't that good because we talk about before and after the water break. Like Calvin actually didn't score until the 61st minute, so there were still eight, nine minutes after the water break where they didn't score. So those six points were just bang, bang, bang in the space of nine, 10, 11 minutes, whatever it was. Like That can happen. If, if your team is deciding we're not going to score anymore, then you are putting yourself under a bit of pressure. Whereas, as Kane says, if you're going to play that way and invite them out when the opportunities do present themselves, then then you kill it. But then maybe that's all well and good. If McManus scores those points which he usually scores, then you know we're not we're not even talking about anything though. I'm on her three. Yeah, we see that that's the thing. Like, I mean, they do look like a team, especially in the second half. I don't criticize them for not going for it in the first quarter when Cavan were playing the way they were. In the final quarter, none of their leaders stood up and tried to arrest that slide and maybe and maybe go for it. Like, I mean, Carlo Connell is one of the worst games I've seen him playing. The two Hughes brothers weren't in it at all, and they, they weren't able to arrest that slide in the final quarter. And that's what I would criticise Monaghan over rather than go, here, Cavan, you want to drop off us? We've got a seven-point lead. The laugh is on you rather than us. Like, I have no problem with those tactics. And we've discussed those type of tactics before that because Gaelic football is a kind of a go-forward game, you know, if a team drops off you, the team with the ball, with the lead, should never be criticised. It's the team that are refusing to engage with a wind when they should be chasing a lead. There, that's where the criticism lies, Keane, not the other team. But I do accept that there's a jaded look about this Monaghan team now. They're on the go a good while. The two Hughes brothers, like I said, were poor. Ryan McInesby tried hard. His defending for the final goal was desperate. Drew Wiley looked off the pace. Um, you know, like, I mean, Conor McManus, to be fair to him, kept the fight going in the first half. He must have scored one, two off three possessions. But there, there is a, for a team, keen like Monaghan, who pride themselves are in your face and really high intensity, that, that could be gone out of that team now. Yeah, it's certainly possible. I mean, look, every every team has a shelf life and then it has to evolve or change or it needs different personnel or a different different outlook or different tactics or whatever it is just to freshen it up. But I mean, look, the, the biggest example of the whole lot is the goal that uh, Cavan got um, in extra time. I mean, look, it was absolutely... Uh, it's just it's just dreadful um, defending. I mean, Marty Riley runs behind. There's, I think it's five Monaghan players when you look at the replay. I mean, like it wasn't even like it was yeah. a quick ball in and a counter attack. I mean, the ball goes in. Galligan wins it. He actually drops it, goes to pick it up, turns, then takes his man on and runs across and hand passes across to Marty Riley, who would actually wasn't even as if he had sprinted away from five players. He just kind of nonchalantly jogged in and then saw Galligan was getting away and then up the pace to maybe three-quarter pace and gets in to tap it to an empty net. Loads of Monaghan defenders back there, all of them ball-watching and none of them um, tracking Riley's run. And that, like, I mean, that's not what you would expect from Monaghan at all. So, I mean, that's that just sums it all up for me in terms of how they had just slept-walked their way to you know through the second half to a certain extent. And sometimes when you play on a team... And you're, you know, they should have been well used to playing against a, a sort of a, a, a well stacked defence, given all the times they played in Division One and against all the variety of Ulster match championship games they played for Monaghan. But I mean, like if you look at it, they they didn't cope well. Fermanagh beat them a couple of years ago, and in somewhat of a snatch and grab as well. So I mean, like they, they have they have struggled on every time they've come up against this type of a defence, and they haven't maybe just they just don't have the quality maybe to, to create those openings when they're play, when they're playing against the mass defence. Maybe that's reflected in the fact that I mean it was did their cornerback get um, three points in the game maybe or two two points anyway? Fisted scores. I mean coming coming plays into the scores, and Conor McCarthy has taken off again, and Stephen O'Hanlon has taken off. Like and they're their exciting forward. I mean, to me, those guys probably need a bit of space, but they should have been backed a little bit more and left on the field because it, it turned out that they needed them on the field near the end of the game. 
Yeah, no, they definitely did. It was actually Niall Kearns that literally looked at Martin O'Reilly and went, uh, will I go after him? This probably isn't that dangerous. Now in the next minute, uh, you see Gallagher turning Wiley and Gallagher wouldn't be known for his pace, but he turns Wiley way too easy. And now Kearns decides, oh, here, I'll get back on Riley instead of Mark and Riley. And even though he sees Gallagher coming, he's still not sprinting after him, Conan. Like, I mean, he's almost like just jogging back defeated. And that's it. That's probably where you're right about the, the jaded look about them. And sometimes as well, it's like when you're just in that mentality, like, they had they had Darren Hughes going very very deep in the second half, and I was thinking you don't you don't need to put Darren Hughes in fullback to get him defending. He he'll go after work himself normally. Like you know the, this Monaghan team when we see them at their best, they they hunt for work. They hunt they hunt players, and and Darren Hughes doesn't need to be back there to be having that effect. He, he can be doing that. There was and, and and just as came mentioned, and Stephen O'Hanlon coming off as well. I I thought there were just bad decisions, and then that, and then the mentality has switched in the team. And then once Cavan started getting on top, there was just a just a leggy look at, at suddenly Monaghan having to cling on to this game that they should have been putting away. Like at halftime, you thought like they were just going to steamroll them, and that's what they should have done. Like I know it's harder when Cavan have men back, but they should have just like like double double hang on to the ball when teams do that, and they they wait for them to come out. But why are they waiting for them to come out so they can punch them then when they do come out? And yeah, there was just a just look like such mental fatigue more than anything for Monaghan. Yeah, no, definitely. And like, I mean, I definitely think Cavan deserve all the credit for winning the game rather than Monaghan for losing the game. Like Faulkner, very good in the second half. Killian Clark, good right throughout. Jared Smith, very good. Like James Smith went off injured. Garod McKernan, absolutely outstanding. Thomas Galligan, absolutely outstanding. Stephen Smith, very good in the first half. Funnily enough, Martin O'Reilly wasn't in the game at all. Like, I mean, if you're looking at Martin O'Reilly, you have Darum or you have Connor Mina and Darum McVitie. You know, these lads that are gone without talking too much about them. But Cavan were just really, really good for that last quarter. And I think Cavan won the game because... Yeah, uh, Chris, Chris Conroy as well for Cavan when he came on. I thought he had a big influence on the game around the middle and kicked a great, uh, kicked a great score as well, I think, from 45. So, I mean, like, there's loads of Cavan players, like you said, Woolly, that can come out of it with, with huge credit, really. And they did win the game rather than Monaghan losing it. Yeah, okay, brilliant. That's one way to leave it, the, the show on there. No performance of the weekend, lads, because holy Christ, I'd say if we were to do that, we'd be here for, for two hours with all, with all the games that were on. So that's it, lads. We'll leave it there. We'll be back on Thursday. Uh, we have a huge uh, weekend coming up. Uh, Kerry, Cork and Mayo, Russ Common being the two big ones. Um, so we'll talk to you on Thursday. Good luck. Yet. It took me a long time to get here. Both parents have, have spoken with each other and, uh, and they regret what happened. They've had a frank discussion with each other and they're, they're both of them are keen to, to now focus on getting back to their county jerseys. That these fellas will get such a f-ing shit shock next Saturday evening that we'll put them back in their f-ing houses for f-ing 10 years. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.